0: All right. So usually when I do these uh, episodes about Jacobin articles or Daily Beast articles, I kind of informally talk through them. You know, I, I kind of go through the article, but I'm not reading for the article. I'm just kind of talking about what it says and adding other things that I maybe ran across while I was researching it, but I didn't have time to include uh, and I might, you know, Stick pretty closely to it in some cases and go a little further away in others, but uh in this particular case, for whatever reason, what feels a little bit more right to me is to just kind of read it, just just actually just read the article and before I take calls uh it's short you know it's it's got kind of to put exactly the way I want to put it so I, I I think tonight, just this once, I am going to do it that way, right, so I'm just going to actually read through the article and then uh, open up the lines, pretending this is a radio station, uh, for uh, for calls. People who have thoughts about this or even off-topic thoughts, I'm happy to wander off in other directions, but I want to start off with the article. So here is how that starts. It looks like Salman Rushdie is going to lose an eye. He also has stab wounds on his neck and chest. He's finally off the ventilator that was used to keep him alive in the immediate aftermath of the attack, but his son has called the injuries life-changing. The novelist was getting ready to deliver a lecture, on free expression by the way, uh, in New York last Friday when a man rushed the stage to stab him. It seems to be a belated attempt to carry out the clerical death sentence against Rushdie issued decades ago by the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. The fatwa was issued because Rushdie wrote a, quote, blasphemous, unquote, novel, The Satanic Verses. To say all of that a bit more succinctly, a writer just spent days on the brink of death because a religious leader found his novel offensive. It's a brutal reminder of the importance of free speech. I've talked to far too many radicals who have convinced themselves that freedom of speech is an unserious liberal concern, And too many progressives in general, whether radicals or liberals, who have become so accustomed to only hearing right-wingers talk about free speech that they find the whole concept suspect. Free speech, quote, absolutists, unquote, according to one depressingly common line of thought, must just be looking for excuses to express bigotry. But all of this reflects a collective memory that goes back about 10 minutes, historically, free speech was a core value of the socialist left. Karl Marx wrote scathing polemics against the very idea of quote, benevolent unquote press censorship in the 1840s, uh, early 1840s. In fact, these battles were formative in the development of his politics. And parenthetically, I'll say, if you want to see that out, that, uh, argument fleshed out, read, uh, uh, Hal Draper's book about, uh, Marx and the state. um, In the 20th century, the radical socialists who built the industrial workers of the world, IWW, the Wobblies, waged what they called free speech fights in response to attempts to suppress their union. In the 1960s, uh, the movement at UC Berkeley that played a key role in the birth of the new left called itself the free speech movement. One of the most eloquent defenses of free speech ever written was the one penned by Marxist revolutionary Rosa Luxemburg just before she was murdered by the proto-Nazi Freikorps in 1918. To be sure, the socialist movement has given rise to plenty of censorious bureaucrats. One particularly ugly mutation and really inversion of our tradition produced Joseph Stalin. But those socialists going all the way back to Marx, uh, who understood socialism not just as a set of economic arrangements, but as a radical extension of democracy, right by extending democracy into the economy, have always prized free speech for both pragmatic and principled reasons. As Jacobin contributor Lee Phillips has put it, freedom of speech is the first freedom, without which there's certainly no such thing as a right to dissent against the brutal inequalities that surround us or to organize for something better. Any movement that wants to challenge existing power structures in a fundamental way needs to care about free speech as a matter of self-preservation. But there's also a deeper reason to care about free speech. The telos of socialist politics, the defining point of our projects, is the empowerment of ordinary people. Without a deep commitment to freedom of expression, that commitment is incoherent. Uh, in one particularly funny scene in Zadie Smith's multi generational novel White Teeth, parenthetically, I'll say anybody, you know, if you like literary fiction and you haven't read that book, you should. A group of young British Muslims go to a demonstration denouncing the satanic verses in Bradford in 1989, the year that the fatwa was issued ordering the Ayatollah's followers to murder Rushdie. On the tray, the protesters ask each other if they've actually read the book. No one has. One of them references the price. twelve ninety five. you know? Smith tells us that one of those young men, uh, Milat Iqbal, uh, quote, could not identify the book if it lay in a pile of other books, unquote, and could not pick Rushdie himself out of a lineup. She then imagines that lineup of writers and thinkers deemed offensive by various authorities over the centuries, from Socrates to Nabokov, quote, all holding up their numbers for the mugshot, squinting at the flashbulb, unquote. Uh, what struck me, thinking back to that scene after Rushdie's stabbing, is that in Britain in 1989, the lack of 13 pounds or an interest in reading long novels was the only thing keeping Millat and his friends from reading the book. For all the horrors inflicted on Rushdie and his murdered translators, the actual availability of the book has never been in doubt in countries like the United States and the UK. When I checked a few days after the stabbing, so many people had picked up copies that Amazon and Barnes & Noble were both out of stock. But would the Satanic Verses be accepted by a major publisher if Rushdie had written it this year as a new author? I guess I should say we're talking about hypothetical Rushdie who hadn't already written Midnight's Children, meaning that he could piss on paper and that would probably be published uh the uncomfortable truth is that it's hard to know it isn't difficult to imagine an editor interested in acquiring the book being unable to get a thumbs up from muslim sensitivity readers hired by the publishing house parenthetically if you aren't familiar with this practice uh it is god a disturbingly common uh to uh to you know i mean sometimes they're hired by the writers themselves that's less problematic but for editors or publishers Right. And this as in this example, to hire sensitivity readers who, you know, to decide whether a book is, um, you know, offensive in some way against some group that the reader is associated with and so shouldn't be published. My concern about the left and free speech is not that secular progressives are actually in favor of stabbing blasphemous novelists. I know that's not right. It's the fear that far too many progressives would respond to news of a publishing company canceling a contract for some Twitter-indicted, allegedly Islamophobic novel by rolling their eyes and making jokes about frozen peaches. Those who accept a narrow libertarian definition of free speech wouldn't see any problem in such news, since private publishing companies limiting the range of acceptable expression isn't an issue of state censorship. But the idea that it's important to protect the minds of readers from books whose content is deemed offensive, dangerous, or harmful strikes right at the value of free speech. Freedom, Rosa Luxemburg wrote in 1918, is always and exclusively freedom for the one who thinks differently. No matter how numerous the ranks of those who agree with opinions that won't upset or challenge anyone, freedom just for them is not is not freedom at all, in the sense that mattered to Luxembourg. After all, she wanted working-class people to be able to make decisions about how society as a whole should be run. That goal simply cannot be reconciled with the idea that our minds are so fragile that benevolent bureaucrats need to decide which ideas are safe enough for the rest of us to handle. There would seem to be no point to deepening democracy by extending it into the economy, If we're not willing to put our trust in the ability of ordinary people to be exposed to every perspective and make up their own minds. If you feel that trust in your bones, you're going to be passionate about protecting readers' right to access the kind of writing that might upset or infuriate them, but also might help them see the world in a different light. There are a good many policies, positions, and strategies about which socialists can disagree in good faith without contradiction to the fundamentals of socialism. But to support censorship by anyone, state, clergy, or crowd, is to contradict the edifice on which socialist politics are built. If you think everyone is capable of self-government, you should care deeply about free speech, and that means standing in solidarity with Salman Rushdie. All right. That is the article. Uh, so if anybody wants to call in, uh, go ahead and get in the queue. And I should be able to take a few calls uh, before we, um, end the, uh, we end the episode uh, for, uh, for today. Um, should, yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, grab Jenny right away. Jenny, what is on your mind?
1: In the queue, I mean, in the chat, I put a link to an event that's happening this week at New York Public Library. And it's a really cool reading with some pretty prominent people of Salmon's work. And they're also challenging people around the country to go ahead and make YouTube videos and use social media of you reading his work. And then using the hashtag, um, Stan with Salmon, I think it is. Let me double check, um, to share what you've done with social media and, um, yeah, it's it's hashtag stand with salmon. So for anybody who's interested in just being public about their support, um, I I and alley said, spread the risk. You know, don't just have one or two people stand up and support. The more people who can do this, it spreads the risk and it helps everybody.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. I also like that it's happening at a uh, at a public library because uh, because uh, this is, you know, I I think um, you know, and I I think maybe a nice illustration of the sort of value of uh you know of libraries as as publicly supported uh, community institutions. So yeah, thank you. I will uh, I will put that link in the description for the episode.
1: Great. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: All right. Thanks, Jenny. Um, so yeah, I want to, uh, let's see, I want to say a couple other things, I think, uh, before, uh, before we go. And if, uh, if anybody else, uh, wants to, uh, wants to call in, uh, has, uh, anything they want to add or, you know, wants to take the conversation in a different direction, even that's, that's totally fine. Uh, go ahead and, you know, and, uh, and get in the, uh, get in the queue, and, uh, and do that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think this is, um, you know, you know, I think this is good. Uh, I think this is a good sort of uh case to, to use to talk about some of these issues, you know, for its own sake, but, you know, but also because there are, uh, you know, there are a few things that kind of come together, in uh in this uh you know in this example um and you know certainly a few things that you know that have been on my mind a lot lately uh so you know one you know there's an issue that comes up in a variety of different contexts i mean i talked about uh this a little bit with anna casparian on the main show on youtube on monday night um you know that there's there's obviously an issue of freedom of and from uh religion and uh in this case uh so anna has this famous kind of super viral rant about you know so she doesn't you know she doesn't care what something says in the bible she doesn't want to argue about like you know what the bible says about whether something is is right or wrong you know whether you should have an abortion or not whether you should have a big family or not that you know that if somebody's Um, you know, you have every right, you know, women in your religion have every right to, you know, make decisions according to this and, you know, and she'll even fight for your religious liberty if it's, uh, you know, if it's challenged, but, uh, but what you of course don't have a right to do is to, uh, to impose those values on, uh, on anybody else. Um. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny actually this morning or I don't know, this afternoon, I guess the, uh, the Jacobin posted the article in, uh, in the afternoon. Uh, but, um, there's, uh, but I, I saw one of the responses to, uh, to, uh, to Jacobin's post of it was from this guy. And I, I don't know, I, I don't think I should even necessarily say his name cause it's not like a, a big Twitter account or whatever. But presumably a, a Muslim uh, uh, on uh, on Twitter saying, uh, responding, you know, uh, not necessarily, uh, responding to uh, to the article, post posted the article by saying insulting others' religions is not free speech, uh, leave people's uh, beliefs alone. Which, you know, I, I said I'm kind of fascinated to know what the conception is of free speech that would draw the borders such that, um, you know, you're excluding criticism of religion right from uh from from free speech um shout out to the uh real Atheology theology podcast that responded to that tweet by saying so all the things muslims say about other religions should also not be protected then which is of course exactly the right kind of response right because nobody is consistent you know well the only people who are consistent about this are people who just support free speech for uh, for all uh, for all comers right that of course um you know muslim criticism of other religions is protected speech but also you know if if you know Rushdie wants to write something that uh you know Islamic fundamentalists think is uh, think is is blasphemous you know that's that's also uh, that 's also protected speech and you know I, I mean in fact there are obviously Muslims who don 't think uh the satanic verses uh, was was blasphemous and you know think is actually in a strange sort of way a very respectful um, uh depiction um you know if you read Rushdie's own memoir uh, which I read several years ago uh Joseph anton um you'll um you know you'll certainly see a uh, um you know you and you get the the backstory right that he uh, that he gives in there about sort of finding out about this the story about Muhammad that you know that is um uh you know, like sort of learning about the stuff that goes into the novel, right? I mean, I don't I don't think he really sees it as a, you know, all guns blazing attack on Islam in any case, right? You know, but even if it was, right, that's, that's uh, you know, free speech should protect that. And that really goes to the point of that quote, you know, um, and, you know, I have no interest in, you know, all guns blazing attacks on Islam or anything else, right? I mean, I think that uh, I agree with what Michael Brooks says against the web, you know, religions are, like cultures in general are big, complicated things that have tons of different interpretations. There's no one that's the right one. Right. But you should certainly be free to talk about them. And uh, and, you know, and and I think this I think this point, I see we've got a couple of people in the uh, in the the queue. So we'll we'll get to those in a second. But I think this point really gets to kind of the heart of the, the issue with that Rosa Luxemburg quote about how freedom is always exclusively freedom, you know, for those who disagree and how. You know, supporters of the majority party no matter how numerous. Freedom just for them is it freedom at all? Uh, from her uh, her book on the Russian Revolution, you know, her pamphlet on the Russian Revolution in 1918. Um, I think this really gets to the point, right? Because it's like, man, what a what a pathetic conception of freedom of speech if it doesn't include freedom to talk about the things that people are gonna be the most bothered by. I mean, that's the that's the whole value of it, right? You really don't need free speech norms to protect speech that nobody's bothered by, right? You need it to protect speech that people are intensely bothered by because you're, you know, challenging, you know, deeply, uh, deeply held views. And again, if you believe that everybody's capable of self government, it's not just that a few people are capable of self government and they can pre-select for everybody else which ideas every you know Aren't going to be too harmful for everybody else to be exposed to, but you believe in everybody's capable self-government, then yeah, you absolutely need to trust people to to handle things that might challenge their their deeply held views. I know all of this can sound a little bit cheesy, a little bit like a sort of you know platitude. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that. What's the point of talking about it, right? But I think that um, I think there are a variety of ways, right, that a lot of people um, who. You know, our people on the left who have who have very good intentions um, don't really like to talk very much about the value of free speech. And that's part of why I wrote the article, because, you know, I think it is important to sort of remind people of why this is so fundamental to the sort of best traditions of uh, of the left and specifically the socialist left. But anyway, uh, I have calls, so I'm going to stop talking and take the calls. So I've got Thomas. Uh, Hi, Ben. How are you? Good, how are you?
2: Good, good. Um, I certainly agree that uh, free speech is uh, crucial uh, to Marx. Uh, I mean, you know, he thinks, right, the goal is for civil society to transform itself, and free speech is necessary for that, right? Um, so I, I uh, but I thought it would be maybe interesting yeah. to sort of try and trace down... What is the history of uh, the censoriousness on the left? Right, I have a couple periods in mind that I can sort of think of, but I, yeah. I'm curious as to what your, you know, where your the lineage of censorious, censoriousness on the left is for you.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, look, the obvious elephant in the room is, is Stalinism, right? I mean, that's the uh, like um, as as something that comes out of the comes out of the socialist left, you know, is um, you know is like even if you don't think that there's any sense in which the system that existed in the soviet union was a form of socialism you know even if you think in some ways it's the opposite of socialism it's certainly something that you know that came out of the socialist tradition in a certain way um and uh and i mean that's you know obviously an incredible you know gave rise to incredibly repressive societies um and um and also, you know, even in the West, right, where where like sort of CPs didn't hold state power, uh, you know, they, they still, you know, they're still um like kind of took their cues from that, right? I mean, if you sort of look at how like nineteen thirty Stalinists handled Trotskyists, you know, in, in New York or whatever, I mean they're certainly very censorious. Uh and um and so that's like the obvious example. I think that they I think that there are like more surprising examples if you even think about like people who are are like anarchists right like left anarchists who um who who sort of think that like well if anybody's like bad or racist or reactionary you should just sort of shut down their speech you know which is um in my experience actually a pretty common view for anarchists to have and you think well that's surprising right because this is like the sort of supposed to be the most anti-authoritarian strain of uh of left-wing thought but i mean it's certainly a thing that exists
2: Yeah, I totally agree with those. I think, uh, I think Stalinism clearly, uh, is a big one. Uh, I think also sort of kind of somewhat similar to where you were critiquing some of the left anarchists, I would think of the new left or some Mm -hmm. parts of the new left in that way, Mm -hmm. right? That shutting down people that you don't want to hear the, uh, the throwing around of the term like professor as a derogatory, right? Like you want to sit and talk and think about these things. No, no, no! It's all about praxis. We just have to do the stuff, right?
3: Uh, Uh,
2: So I think there's there's a a sort of root of the censoriousness there. Um, I'm curious as to if you think that there's maybe not just that sort of like external censoriousness, but is there an internal like censoriousness to mm -hmm, the left mm -hmm. today? Like, is there are there things on the left that you can't say?
0: yeah probably. and I want to be careful with this part because um because I think there's a way that people respond to this that's like not totally wrong, and I think you need to give it its due that it's like, look every everybody's got taboos, right? like you you'll never find any society, any culture, subculture, you know that like doesn't you know, doesn't have um, you know, certain sorts of of understood things that are you know that are like out of bounds and that, you know, people would like hesitate to advocate because they wouldn't want people to like think badly of them or whatever. Right. I mean, so it's like, and I, th- I think that's probably right. Right. That it's like that there aren't, um, you know, like one reason that you, uh, I mean, you know, forget leftists, right. I a mean, bit if you're just like hanging out with anybody, right. One, one of many reasons, you know, you wouldn't start like piping up about how, you know, Hitler or Pol Pot was great. Right. You know, beyond the fact that you don't think so, is that uh, is is that you wouldn't want, you know, or I don't know, rape should be legalized or just like come up with some opinion that you find horrifying. Right. Is that you uh, is that you wouldn't like the reactions that everybody would have to that. Right. So I think that we need to be a little bit careful, maybe about that sort of self-censorship point. That it's like just the fact that there are certain views that are like considered to be really bad and people would hesitate to advocate because they don't they wouldn't want the reactions doesn't necessarily mean that there's something like a censorship problem going on i think where you maybe have more of a problem is when um that that line right for what's sort of like considered to be a horrifying thing to advocate or something that like people would really you know stop having anything to do with you if you if you did like just if it keeps changing, right, if you sort of keep having new rules, you know, and, uh, and you know, you you, know, you sort of have trouble keeping track of what the rules are and all that stuff, then I think that there, I think those sorts of, like, self-censorship kinds of concerns, um, like, I, I can see what the concern is a little bit more, right? And I, and I think there probably is some of that, um, uh, you know, like, some of that on the left just as a sort of result of, features a sort of general kind of liberal culture um that you know that like the left kind of ends up glomming on to um you know and I, and I think i don't know i mean like like i said I, i'm hesitant to tie it too closely to the sort of free speech and and censorship kind of critique but i mean like i think that you know but i mean i think there's certainly sort of like annoying group think that like people don't want to um take on certain ideas because, you know, if they, if they do, they'll be labeled in unfair and weird ways and whatever. And, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I'm actually, I don't know that all of this is added up to much. Did you, Do you have a particular example in mind?
2: Well, uh, well, I guess there's a few, I mean, I think there's stuff from, you know, from the easier to call out stuff that's just uh. like, the the standpoint stuff you know uh, it's just uh-huh. like oh well you can't speak on this if you're not that but that's a pretty like I don't know that's a pretty obvious one to me at least like that's a simple one that I think everyone kind of, or most people now agree on that yeah yeah um but I don't know I mean I think I think sometimes on the left there's a a like a rush to to halt critique mm-hmm. of like major parts of the left because it's like, hey, wait, wait, we're all in this together. We're all like, we're all comrades, which like, sure. But there also needs to be like vigorous critique at the same time. I think sometimes the left Mm -hmm. is kind of doesn't want to engage with that.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that there's, um, yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely like i said i don't know i don't know how useful it is to think about it as an issue of like censorship or self-censorship or whatever but i think it is i think it's fair i think it is true that there are um there are plenty of issues that uh people have uh like will often like not really criticize common left positions that are like sort of begging for criticism you know because they're like just On the face of it, they're just not very well thought out, you know, um, that uh, because they don't want to be seen as being on the wrong team or whatever. Um, Like, I I definitely see that, you know, like I said, I I don't know. I don't know how useful it is to assimilate it to the free speech conversation and how much you know to think of that as just kind of a consequence of um, like of the left being a fairly marginal subculture. Right. So you can say things that, you know, like people spend a lot of time saying things that are sort of very uh, performatively radical because it makes them feel like they're uh, they're taking a a really strong stand against the, you know, the dominant culture. But uh, they don't really think it's they're going to have any opportunity to to carry it out anyway. So they don't really need to spend a lot of time standing, thinking about it. I'm thinking here about pretty much all of the slogans that include the word abolish. Right. You know, as uh as obvious examples of that, but uh, but anyway, uh, I do want to go on. Uh, anyway, yeah. thank you for the call, Thomas. I, I do want to do want to take the next caller, uh, who is Vin.
3: Hey Ben, uh, thanks for taking my call. I am a Muslim, and I'd mm-hmm. like to center myself in this conversation and represent almost two billion people on the planet. I'm joking, <laughs> by the way. Um, it's a but, challenge. Um, yeah, no. Um yeah, I've always found that idea funny where you have to have somebody from a certain group to speak for them or whatever that means. But anyways, um Yeah, all, yeah, all you know, two I, all
0: two billion of them got together and decided that you were gonna be their representative for this conversation.
3: I guess. You know, we they, they kinda of gave me the call. They're like, You gotta you gotta get in Ben's show, otherwise, you know, I mean <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yeah, um, you know, it's, it's funny because if you speak to most it's not funny but it's an interesting sure. point if you speak to most uh, uh, of the kind of traditionalist class of Muslims because uh-huh. there's, a, there's a very split between um, I think they're they're by far the majority but there's a, there, there is a split of kind of maybe more uh, stricter versions of uh, Islam uh, that have come out you know, Primarily with the, at the creation of the state of Saudi Arabia, but uh, if you speak mm-hmm. to most of them, they 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 find the book maybe distasteful or silly. I mean, I read it uh, myself. I just thought it was silly, but I didn't think anything of it. And yeah. but they but they don't. There's there's nothing beyond that because there's there's even in tradition. There's a kind of a funny story where there's this atheist poet uh, in Arabia. Who gets into the, and he's around, he's living at the time of the prophet and he gets into the public square and he uh, recites this poem insulting the prophet by, you know, reversing his name, calling him mudammam which in Arabic translates to some sort of insult that I forgot and a uh, uh, pretty vicious insult. And then people look at the prophet and they're like, what is, how, how are we allowing this guy to say this in, in, in front of you, in front of all these people? And the, the Prophet just kind of laughs and says, he's talking about some guy named Muhammad. My name is Muhammad. I don't know. What he's, I don't know. Why is it? What does it have to do with me? Kind of a humorous thing. But most it's funny because most, you know, yeah, there are I'm not denying there are a lot of people that were you know, severely upset and all that. But sure. I think there's a balance of being upset versus doing something insane, like trying to kill somebody for saying right. something that's that's asinine. But, uh I guess that was just a quick anecdote I wanted to make, but or point I wanted to make. but uh a question I had was, mm-hmm. how much of this do you think is uh, in terms of free speech i'm I'm becoming mm-hmm. increasingly skeptical that it's possible uh, with the advent of just the insane amount of information uh, available information nowadays, and we've seen it when major events occur where there's this rush to control who can speak about what certain issues and all of this. A name that comes to mind with this conversation with Rushdie is Sam Harris because mm-hmm. Sam mm-hmm. Harris had this uh, couple of viral things that happened to him this week. Number one, he came out as an ardent supporter of free speech with the the Rushdie thing and that's fine. But
0: he's but the Hunter
3: Yeah, but he's become anything but a free speech person. He wants to see You know, people on the far right, basically, not far right, just Trump supporters. I wouldn't even call them far right. Just like banished from any sort of public speaking positions in society. Uh, You know, he's a definitely someone who's kind of into scientism and and worships authority and authority. uh, Scientific experts are the only ones who can speak on anything. He was about that with COVID and all that kind of stuff. And you see this kind of this this overreach of the uh, this technocracy that wants to control the inflow of information as it's becoming increasingly available to people. So am I wrong to be pessimistic about the kind of future of free speech? And I'm only looking at America because I yeah. think other Western countries are pretty much far gone with that. And I do think there is something unique about the U.S. I've lived in a lot of Western countries, and it's just right. not the same. But there is a slip there. So, I, am I? Do you think that pessimism is unwarranted? What do you think about that?
0: Well, I mean, look. I think it's up to us. Uh, you know what 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 happens. I mean, this is um, you know you can you know like. Um, I mean I, I don't I don't think there are any guarantees one way or the other. I think you have to fight for it. I mean I think that the Sam Harris example and by the way, I mean I mentioned uh, Michael's book Against the Web earlier, you know, so if you want kind of the ultimate Sam Harris takedown, read the uh, the Harris chapter of that book. But um but yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I think the Sam Harris thing that you mentioned is is sort of a perfect example of the point about how it's really easy to uh, to support free speech for people you agree with, right? You know, and uh, and much harder and much more you know important, right, to support it for people you uh, you disagree with, right? I mean, so so Harris is uh, you know atheist and you know anti theist, so he likes you know you know so so he. He can posture about free speech in the Rushdie case, but, you know, but he's also a very conventional sort of, um, you know, technocratic lib of the kind you're talking about. So so he, he thinks, um, and, you know, his comments about the Hunter Biden laptop, he sort of later, he sort of tried to say, like, all he was saying was that it was okay not to look into the story too much until after the election. But it's like, no, I, I watched the clip. It really sounded like you were saying it was okay to suppress the New York Post's uh, Twitter account to suppress the story, which I actually think is a huge free speech problem. Um, which I, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I had uh, at the time right before the election, you know, I had uh, Glenn Greenwald on my show. We talked about it and uh, and I agree with him about that. Right. The uh, I think um, and I'm so, and, you know, I voted for Biden right in my swing state, encouraged other people to hold their nose and do likewise you know but I, I i still think there's a much bigger free speech issue there so yeah i mean i think uh you know i think harris is uh you know harris is very much uh full of shit on that uh but you know but i think there is some value to the consistent position and uh I, i'm just going to the next caller but i just did just want to wrap up and thank you for the call by the way uh you know but like i did just want to say like look I really want to emphasize this idea. That it's like there are no guarantees one way or the other. I mean, like, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, to plagiarize from C. Derek Varn from, I think, earlier today, right? I mean, the, the, you know, there is no arc of history that bends anywhere except for where we decide to bend it, right? The uh, that um, Like, and even against very powerful forces, I mean, you know, you can win. I mean, there are how many hundreds of, you know, like Starbucks filing for unionization now, against, you know, uh, this, like, huge, ultra-profitable corporation, you know, that, like, you have this little independent union that's doing that. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I I think there's a lot of reason to worry, but I don't, you know, I don't think, you, at the risk of being cheesy and platitudinous once again, I, I don't think you should give up. But anyway, Chase, what's in your mind?
4: Hey, Ben. How you doing today? Good. How are you? Not too bad, thanks for taking my call. um I guess I had a few scattered thoughts that i'm gonna try uh to haste to link together i guess the um the first one is from my understanding um this guy who uh, attacked Rushdie was twenty four read like two pages of the Satanic verses, and you know right? uh, was working like a low low income service industry job and you know I feel like we've heard this story before. And it's, like, it kind of takes different flavors depending on, like, the identity group and, like, uh, social class position. But, you know, like, uh, what Pankaj Mishra calls, like, uh, I think, like, uh, angry young man of promise, you know, and just, like, this phenomena of, like, young mostly guys getting radicalized out of like weird frustrations and glomming on. I mean, when you think about it, he's 24, like the satanic verses came out, when like 91,
0: uh, 92, like, uh, 1988,
4: 1988. <laughs> so think about how irrelevant this is actually. To no, totally. I, is- mean, I,
0: I, I mean, I, I mean, look, I think most people who, I mean, actually that like, that line, that scene from, uh, from white teeth that I quoted in the article is like satirizing this, like even in, well, I mean, White Teeth was published much more recently, but the scene is said in 1989, right? You know, that it's like most people who get upset about it haven't read it. I mean, most people, which I think is generally true. I mean, it's not just for like long literary novels, right? Like the Static Verses, but like, you know, but I mean, like, I think most people who, you know, most people who, like, when they're, most people who get mad about some movie they think is offensive haven't seen the movie, right? I mean, this is, um, this is, I, I think, just kind of how it goes, right? I mean, that, um, that like the people it's easiest to fire up about, you know, about stuff like this uh, haven't, um, you know, are 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 not going to be the ones who are going to really do their due diligence about the thing they're upset about. I mean, but I I think that in a way, right? I mean, this is this is kind of always who who it was probably going to be right. Like if somebody you know successfully attacked or killed Rushdie, you know, it was, it was probably always going to be some like kind of confused 24 year old. Right. You know, but I mean, it's like, it is bizarre that it took this long, right. For, you know, for it to happen. But I mean, it's like I, in a weird way, this almost feels like this is like this, this, uh, this landmine from a war that happened a generation ago that just went off.
4: No, it's a great metaphor. Yeah. There's something anachronistic about it. Um, And I guess, I guess uh, um, somewhat related. I had, I had two other thoughts. One was, I I mean, I basically agree with um, your free speech position, but I feel like um, social media and I guess what Jody Dean calls like communicative capitalism really, you know, um, throws a wrench in it. I mean, uh, when John Stuart Mill is writing on Liberty, I don't think he's thinking about an environment in which people's speech acts were commodities, you know, going back and forth. Uh, And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that would necessarily affect some of these underlying arguments, but you know, I feel like it's uh, kind of naive to pretend that um, uh, you know, Facebook or um, uh, uh, this current social media environment is just like an 18th century salon, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the I guess the question I'm mean, sure. I mean, those are very different things. I mean, I guess the question is like, okay, given that, you know, one, given that they're different, right? Like, are there, um, like, what's the kind of effect of those differences? Are there things that we could do to, to sort of um, maybe negate the ways they're different? Does Do the differences make censorship a better idea now than it was then? Do they maybe even make it more dangerous than it was then? I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that there's one, I I, I guess the place... Well, let me just say this, then I'll then I'll throw it back to you. Like um, the, you know, I mean, I think that I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know whether John Stuart Mill would have said this or not. Although he may have, because he actually did get kind of socialism curious at a certain point in his life. But, um, but you know, I mean, I think that the, um, you know, I I think, uh, you know, I mean, my my preferred. You know, view is is that the you know the digital commons should be held in common, right? You know that the uh, that these shouldn't be private companies at all. You know they they should be uh, taken into public ownership and and sort of run like utilities. But um, but I think that you know, but I think that the thing when people say things like what you just said, and I don't know if this is where you're going or not, but I mean this is this is a place that people sometimes go with it that I think is like reasonable uh that like okay what are what are the differences between just kind of like sitting around a salon and uh posting on social media or like between even like i don't know people like selling newspapers in the streets you know uh and you know i don't know if the daily wire posted something on facebook um i i think that like probably the most important difference and probably the you know is is the algorithm right that the um that, in other words, that there's a way that the platform itself can like boost certain views, certain um, certain speech acts, and 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 suppress others. You know, just just kind of by the way, this very arcane and uh, and, and opaque you know way that it's uh, it's set up. Um, and so. Um, and so I think this is like the kind of best point that's often made by people who say things like what you just said, right? That it's like, well, look, this isn't just a free speech issue. This is like, you know, this is the, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever algorithm, you know, promoting, you know, certain views that could be really bad and et cetera. And I actually think that's totally fair, right? I mean, that doesn't make me sort of inclined to support censorship, but it does make me inclined to think that, um, you know, that we should, in a certain sense, maybe be uh, you know algorithm abolitionists, by which obviously I don't mean that literally, because uh, that that would be impossible. But like that, like you know, maybe there shouldn't be recommended videos on YouTube, right? I remember uh, Sam Cedar said that to me. Obviously, he he uh, said that he he was like, look, the majority report probably couldn't exist financially if there weren't, but you know, he'd be willing to, he'd be willing to take one for the team there. Right. You know, that the, uh, that like, maybe that would just be better if you just had to like type things in the search bar that like, that would just be healthier, you know, or like that, uh, that for like Twitter, right. That the, uh, that like the algorithm could just be everybody you follow, you see their tweets in the order in which they were tweeted. And that's it. Right. Um, and, uh, And, you know, I, I think that would at least, you know, obviously it's still very different from a 18th century salon or whatever. In that like, instead of 10 people sitting around, it's, you know, 10 million people sitting around or whatever. But I think that would, in some desirable ways, take it a little bit closer back to that model.
4: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, your point earlier, um, which I've heard actually Zizek make a, a similar point about, you know, um, not wanting to live in a society in which people had to argue whether rape was right or wrong or not, um, yeah. uh, is I think a really interesting one, you know, um, I'm not sure. I'm, I, in fact, I'd say, I don't think censorship is, not necess- is not necessarily the right response, but I do think, um, it's a moral regression to have to debate whether torture was right or wrong during the yeah, war. I, I,
0: was, yeah. I, I agree with that I mean I think this is this is kind of why, in response to the earlier caller i was I was hesitating a little just to say um about you know like assimilating like sort of legitimate concerns about like silly taboos into like a sort of censorship and speech framework because like all societies are gonna have taboos right you know that's and that's you know whatever it's not like that's like so inevitable. It's almost not even you know good or bad. It just sort of is you know. And and I absolutely agree that it would be terrible if we if we didn't have a taboo on the uh, you know argument about whether rape was okay. And, and it is terrible that in uh, that in the early two thousands we regressed to the point of of you know not having one about torture. You know, like I I, I think you know I think um, you know I don't uh, I don't like the. Uh, the sort of um yeah i mean i i don't i don't i don't want to um you know i don't, I don't want to like censor like i don't want to um uh, like even shout down speakers never mind uh you know kick off of social media never mind arrest people who uh who who say some of these things but you know i'm 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 I, you know i don't i don't have a problem with uh You know, I don't have a problem with uh, with with giving people a funny look and like, you know, and inching away from them in the subway, you know, if they uh, if they uh, if if they say it, that's uh, that's fine by me. But, um, hey, I want to uh, I want to take the last call. But thank you, Chase. This has been good. Uh, Let's take uh, schnarf. All right. Schnarf, are you with us?
5: I am. My fingers are not working, though. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no problem. So, uh, okay. So <laughs> let me let me give you a little background about who I am, and then I'm going to give you a quick opinion on Salman Rushdie, and then I'd like to know what you think. Okay? Sure. So, I am a byproduct of the failed state of Western Sahara. My family was affiliated with the Polisario Front, a secular Marxist group in. North Africa that fought against both the Spaniards and the Morocco, the Kingdom of Morocco, supported by the American government. Where where my ancestral homeland is is not too far away from where the body of the the great Franz Fanon is buried. Okay. I am not a religious person. I understand Islam and, and like the, the Muslim traditions. And I also understand what makes it very, uh, similar to some of the, the Marxist elements that were absorbed into some, some of these movements like the Polisario Front and, you know, different communist movements like in Yemen and in, uh, in Oman. So with Salman Rushdie what i think it is is that and i've and i've heard this over and over again from from different sources is that it, most of what he was doing in his in his in his book the satanic verses which i actually have read um, it, it's it's not a clear critique of Islam. It's not a clear critique of anything. What it is is a collection of stories that are very loose. And then it it has one section where it it talks about some kind of a uh, religious um, attempt to to undermine monotheism within the, within the Islamic tradition. Which, to be honest with you, isn't inaccurate. It's just a it's very melodramatic. And then there's a mention of the Ayatollah Khomeini that that that's that's related to Iran. Okay, I think yeah. he was trying to inflame the life out of people that would then lend themselves to a buzz so that he could then uh, be able to sell books and to make appearances and to affiliate with more notable people like, I'm sure you're gonna appreciate this, uh, Christopher Hitchens. And um, I think what he was doing was in essence, becoming a voice for the redemption of Western civilization and some of the colonial elements that were absorbed into these countries, right? Whether it's India, Pakistan, wherever it is, they were absorbed in. And it was, it was almost saying like, yeah, we went through colonialism and now we're in an imperial, in an imperialist state. But like, guess what? You know, we have, uh, we have Pepsi and Coke and, you know, all these great things. And look, they, they actually uplifted us out of our, our savage ways. I think he was a person that stood by the redemption. Of 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 the colonialist experiment, right? So, in effect, he his books became popular with people that were looking to 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 kind of point the finger at at the superiority uh, of of Western culture or you know white supremacy or whatever you want to call it. I don't think he was a great writer. The book sucked. It didn't really. You know, touch me or make me feel anything. It was just, I I, I saw it for what it was. And if you want, you can find it on YouTube. His bodyguard was talking about how he really was doing all of this as a clout chaser, right? Like the original clout chaser. Um, I. I'm going to say something that you probably are not going to like, but he, he got what he, what he was looking for. He was looking for some kind of a very uh, violent reaction from that part of the world, whether indirectly or, in, or, or directly, which, you know, it seems like it's, he's a 24 year old, um, Lebanese, person in New Jersey that decided to do this. Now, whether he was funded or, or supported by any, any particular group, that's beside the point. It's 30 years. It's more than 30 years, right? Like, I don't know. It's 1989. I'm not doing the math so well, but it's a long time, right? So he shows up and he, he, he goes to do his performance, loses an eye, almost dies, I understand the aspect of free speech, but let's be honest here. He put himself in the line of danger, and now he has what he wanted, which was that kind of violent reaction. But here's the good news: I'm sure he's going to sell more books.
0: So, I, I think that I want to separate out a couple of things in in that uh, in that take. Right, one is is your kind of you know your read on the book and and the idea that he's trying to be provocative. We wrote it. Uh, which you know might be true. I, I think it's totally fine for uh, for. Have you read it? it? For uh, I I have read I have read part of it. I, I it is very long and I have not gotten through it. Yet, it is super the,
5: uh, long and boring. Only reason why I read it is I broke my ankle and I had no, nowhere to go.
0: Well, you got through it, so that says something. But I have a uh, <laughs> but uh, but look, they have a um, you know, I think that like. Again, I think it is a hundred percent fine for writers, artists, and musicians to uh, to to pry, try to provoke, you know, thoughts and feelings by something they write. I, I don't think he I don't think he meant to provoke actual uh, actual violence. And even if he had, right? I mean, the, which which I don't I don't believe, you know. But the I, I think that that's. Uh, <laughs> You know, I I think that that's that's pretty bad if it works. But the uh, but I, I also uh, but I, so that's one thing. Right. But then the other thing is is the claim about his politics. And I think just uh, just kind of biographically, I'm not sure that, that works because, um, you know, for one thing, um, you know, he had um, like he'd actually, you know, I mean, like I think he probably did drift to the right or at least the center, like during the decades when he had to live and hide in, hiding, uh, because of the fatwa. Right. You know, but the, um, uh, you know, bec- you know, for, for kind of obvious reasons. Right. But I think that like, if you look at his earlier life, uh, you know, he had, uh, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd spoken out, uh, you know, about Kashmir and Palestine. He actually wrote a book about the Sandinistas and Nicaragua, you know, so like, I think he'd actually, you know, taken some some pretty um, you know some pretty some pretty left anti imperial positions, which which I which I would but, also. But he
5: wasn't selling as much until he actually wrote the Satanic Verses. He became immensely way more popular when he did that. Correct.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the uh, he all, it also essentially ended his life for decades. You know, so uh, so I, I I don't know... wait 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 so wait
5: wait wait. That's not, do I, you I don't, know, I don't who know that... he married? Do you know who he married? He he married. Yes, I I, 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 yes,
0: I, I know about Padma, but before that even happened, he, he had spent he had spent literally decades in hiding. Uh, I'll, I don't. I'll do I, that. I I, I do, do that. I do not think I do not think marrying the model, uh, you know, makes it uh, makes it all worth it. Or at least I wouldn't oh take that gosh. deal. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if you would, I'll but take I would also just uh, okay. Interested. All right. So I will She's just so say, beautiful. Okay. I'll take yeah. That deal. All right. All right. Uh, this, this is true love. But uh, anyway, I have a I will just, um, you know, I would just say, though, right, that like, I don't think that there's anything, you know, incompatible. I mean, like, and I presume you don't either. Right. I mean, given what you said about your, you know, sort of family and political background. Right. Like, I don't think there's anything incompatible about uh, having like left wing anti imperial positions and, you know, being you know being somewhat uh somewhat critical of um of you know of of islam as a as a religious tradition and and i also think it's kind of a weird fluke right because it's like i'm sure that there are a hundred other books that were just you know that were like just as critical uh of of islam i mean as you point out i mean it's not even really you know the book is not even really written as some sort of like blistering uh you know, attack, right? You know, I mean, this this is just one that that kind of, like, um, you know, that kind of happened to win the uh the condemnation lottery. So, you know, I think I probably do have a more um, a more positive view about the guy overall than you do. I'm going to go to the next call. Thank you so much uh, for the call. Uh, but I I think that the you know I I also think that like, you know, love Rushdie or hate him, right? I think the free speech issue should be the same either way. Meanwhile, uh, I was, um, I, I'd previously, I'd actually referred, uh, to, uh, to Schnaarf as the last call, but then, uh, Biden got in the queue and, uh, being, uh, in the, uh, capital class and thus one of, one of the best human beings in the world. I will, uh, I will, I will make an extension to the, uh, to the episode and take his call. How are you doing?
6: It's nice being privileged, Dr. Burgess, isn't it? It's just a real nice thing being on top of the capital class, um, yeah, uh I think I guess the, the only thing I wanted to say, I kinda came in late and that was actually an interesting um Schnarf's point uh was actually kinda interesting in I know that you're you're a free speech absolutist and I know that you know like the conundrum of like intolerance or I forget what they call it, but that happens from free speech, right? Like the it necessarily allows sort of Nazi stuff to occur uh, and grow within a free speech environment. And I don't think that's a reason to stop free speech, but I would be interested on in your thoughts about something like fighting words, right? Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the, the doctrine of yeah. fighting words? You know, yeah. yeah,
0: look, I'm not, um, I mean, it's kind of funny, right? Because it's like, I know what you mean when you say I'm a free speech absolutist. And I think I probably, right. most people who throw around that phrase probably would include me, right? You know, uh, as like what they mean by that. But it's like, in some ways, I think it's kind of funny because it's like, I don't know, am I a free speech absolutist? What would that mean to be an absolutist about free speech? Right. Like, would that mean that, right. like, you you don't think we should have like defamation and libel laws, right? I and mean, would that mean that you don't think that we should have incitement laws, right? Like, I'm That's actually totally, point. you know, I'm actually totally fine with all of that, right? I mean, I just think that, like, and like, I'm even fine with saying that there might be like some like legitimate gray areas or hard questions about, you know, like. That's all, you know, I just think that, like, our our default should be, like, very strong skepticism of, like, sort of any new exceptions, right, because uh, for all the reasons that I talk about in the article and I've talked about a bunch of other places. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think the, you know, the fighting word stuff, I mean, that's probably, I mean, that's, this is the, um, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, I mean, if you... Um, You know, if you walk up to somebody in the middle of the street and, you know, and and, like start yelling that they're a stupid motherfucker who should die. Right. I mean, like, I I don't necessarily think that should be protected, uh, protected speech. I don't really think that like anything you could say in like a novel or, you know, or a uh, or a song or a a movie is like equivalent to that. I mean, I could see an analogy, but I I wouldn't I'd resist that analogy. Right. You know, that's 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 where that's where I'd go with that.
6: Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting though, because I think the whole point of fighting words is we kind of accept the fact that, and for those who don't know, fighting words is basically it's an old doctrine. It doesn't really get um, implemented as much nowadays, but it's an old legal doctrine that basically if someone uh, you're, you know, you have free speech, but if someone comes up to you and says something that is just so heinous that it provokes a fight, you know, something about your mother, I don't know, uh, you know, racial slurs or something like that yeah. and you know a threat of like an imminent violence or whatever that you can you could fight them you could beat their ass right and yeah. the that's it's kind of like well okay what they said was so disgusting that they deserve an ass whooping and in certain yeah. situations it's the equivalent of like um there was a video that was going viral on twitter and it's been around for a while but it's the equivalent of like there's a, a subway uh it's like a, the, the subway train in new york i'm yeah. assuming and the doors are closing and there's this big guy in there and there's this little guy outside who literally is spitting through the doors at this guy while they're closing and he spits in his face twice and the guy's trying to pry the doors open and when, by the time he prys the doors open he finally does and he's a foot and a half taller than this guy and he just proceeds to whoop the shit out of him right and yeah. there's people on the platform who are saying no and there are people filming it and they're like no yo he deserved it right it's the equivalent of don't know he deserved it part. But I do think something that's super interesting about, you know, situations like, uh, you know, no. Salman Rushdie you know, when that was happening, is that I think the, I'm starting to think, because I've always been a fan of fighting words just because I get heated. And, you know, uh-huh. it's like, but that's that same sort of heat is the same sort of thing that's kind of carrying someone, uh, like the attacker here to yeah. feel the need to attack someone for exercising free speech. And I do think, you know, I think Simon Rushdie probably was trying to be intentionally provoked, provocative. I don't think that's, I don't think that's any, you know, maybe he was trying to do it all for a supermodel and look, we've done, I, I've done worse things to, to, you know, sure. try to appeal to people or whatever, right? Sure. Um, but like the, the idea, there though is that you know something that is a, a a deeply held belief that someone has some i think we could agree to some extent that talking smack about someone's you know if you actually believe in god i mean part of the reason yeah. why people who believe in uh, you know like evangelicals or people i don't want to put them all in a category but if you look at some of the motivations for a lot of war and a lot of uh, you know like sort of Really heinous acts in history too are motivated by people who have this deeply held belief that they're doing something right in the eyes of whatever god they're they believe in. So I, you know, I I, I think situations like this they don't make me question whether free speech should be an absolute thing. Really, they really make me more question as to whether stuff like fighting words are legitimate, because I think this is just in some ways, you know, someone telling me they're going to fuck my mom is not as bad as, like, or not as provocative, I would say, as someone telling you your entire life is a lie and your prophet is like a pedophile or whatever they say. And yeah. You, you know what I mean?
0: No, that's... Right, right, which, which of course, which, by the way, it, it is not irrelevant to this conversation to say that, like, nothing in the satanic verses comes close to that, right? You know, but, uh, like, it's right. it's it, it's it's actually not you know i mean it's 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 there's you know the sort of there's stories in there that's like that are like um you know very uh you know it's like considered blasphemous because it's it's like uh right it's so different from you know from from what you know the you're supposed to you're supposed to believe about it but it's it's not like it's 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 not um in a certain way, it's not even really a disrespectful depiction, right? You know, it's 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 more like um, a closer analogy would be something like, uh, "Fuck, what was that? Uh, what was that movie about Jesus in the '70s?" Um, oh, the uh,
6: uh, uh, with William Dafoe. Fuck the, the Last Temptation of Christ.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. You know, it's like that's yeah. not like an anti-Jesus movie, right? It's not like you know, it's not like it's depicted him in some bad light, right? But right. it's still it's, it's still considered irreligious, yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of motherfuckers are
6: so, real mad over that still too, which is
0: sure, you know, yeah, fun. totally, right. I mean, I think that the um yeah, I mean, no, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I don't you know i wouldn't claim to have spent much time thinking about the um the the fighting words you know legal doctrine I mean i could like vaguely remember that from like a class i took a million years ago but um but i i guess i do so maybe one interesting point to make is that like looking up the um you know kind of looking that up again now the um that The fighting words was first defined by the Supreme Court in Chapinski versus New Hampshire, uh, uh, 1942 Words by their very utterance inflict injury. Blah blah blah. Um, It is, and this is from the Supreme Court ruling. It has been well observed that such utterances are no essential part of any exposition of ideas. And then there's something about slight social value or something like that. But like the facts you know so it's like i don't know you know i I would have to like go back and look at that and think about it you know like i I don't know that i have a take about whether the supreme court got that right in 1942 or not but like i think that um but you know i i think and whether that kind of fits into the sort of like exception you know like points of non-absolutism about free speech that that like somebody like me would be fine with like about like incitement and defamation and all that stuff. But like, um, you know, I don't actually, um, uh, you know, I don't actually have a big problem with the the Sandy Hook parents, uh, soaking Alex Jones for instance. Right. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, um, but I think it is interesting that in that ruling, right. That like part of the rationale is this thing about the, uh, uh, that like they're not essential to expressing ideas right cuz it's like the even though right you might actually be much more angry <laughs> about uh somebody's like re- you know like what somebody says about you know religion than uh than than you would be about you know whatever what they said about your mom um the um uh, uh like i'm uh you know even though right it's still like being able to express opinions about something like religion is like right at the sort of core of like what free speech norms are supposed to protect. Right. right? Like, you know, so, um, so I don't, you know, maybe, you know, so maybe it might, maybe what the Supreme court's position might still make sense. I don't know. I mean, I know, I mean, I vaguely remember there's like from the philosophy of law class I took in like, you know, 20 years ago, the, uh, there's another, there was like one, I think there was like a Supreme Court case from the 60s where they, I think like weakened that a little bit because there was a, there was a, a case about somebody who like had been arrested because they, they had a jacket. They had the phrase fuck the draft on the, like written on the back. Yeah,
6: it, uh, I can't remember that case, but yeah, they, they, they did try to use a fighting words doctrine in that. But again, part of the reasoning for that was saying fuck the draft is connected to a an idea that yeah. is, you know, meant to do more than just provoke and and to just, you know, cause harm by their own utterance, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, the political nature of that. Um, right. but, but I don't know. I mean, part of that, too, I mean, the extent to which, I mean, you could argue that someone saying, you know, talking shit about your mom, in a way, is expressing an idea indirectly as to how they really feel about you or what you're doing or right like it, it's different if, if
0: sort of um, right if you know if
6: I'm giving like a, if I'm giving a political speech or something on stage and then it's... someone just says something that's very insulting it's almost like well the reason they're saying the thing is to express you know uh, discontent with the message that I'm delivering on the stage right um, uh... so there's there's more of a, it's a little more nuanced, I think, than or uh, the idea of fighting words in the, uh, themselves is a little more. Yeah, a little more
0: no, I, I'm not tricky. totally right, and I'm I'm kind of agnostic about about whether that, um, uh, whether any version right of the uh, of the fighting I words agree. doctrine is is right. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I obviously I don't I don't think you should be able to like walked up to somebody in the street and start yelling racial slurs at them but maybe like other kinds of laws about harassment and other things would cover that anyway I'm not sure but um, yeah. but I think like I, I I don't know I mean I guess like um, I guess like the thing about your mom like expresses an attitude I don't know that it exactly expresses an idea in the same way right like it sort of seems like the the kind of like core sort of original kind of thing that free speech norms are supposed to protect are like, you know, being able to express yourself precisely about like politics and religion. Right. I mean, those are the sort of like, those are the sort of like original big ones. Sure.
6: Sure. And, and those make sense to a large extent, but I also worry about the idea of, you know, uh, I think Sharp is onto something when he talks about how it was kind of trendy to just shit all over Islam during that time period to try to do stuff that was intentionally provocative towards uh, Islam. And I, you know, not that I'm any like, I'm not saying up here trying to defend uh, any particular religious doctrine or anything like that. But I do think that to me, what that brings up is that the idea of the bounds of what is able to be expressed a lot of the times are dependent on the majority culture that you tend to be in. And at a certain time, when we look at the doctrine of fighting worms, I mean, in 1942, they were still calling niggas niggas. You know what I mean? Like on the streets and Uh I would fight someone today if that happened, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's, you know, and, and you could say that reflects again, an attitude and not like an idea really. Uh Um, Although the idea behind that attitude is also, I think you're lower than me or you're less than me or something like that. And, you know, uh, so I, I I don't know. It's kind of made me, again, I, I you know, to be clear, no one deserves, like, Salman Rushdie did not deserve to be fucking stabbed on stage, uh, period, even if he was being provocative. Like, that's, uh, to me, that's ridiculous because it's just, you know, he's just talking shit,
0: you know? Yeah, I mean, um, I, mean I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I also do want to say, like, I think, like, not it's okay for novelists to be provocative, not even just in the sense that like they have a legal right to or something, but it's like artistically not necessarily a bad thing for like novelists to have the goal of being provocative, right? I mean, I think right. like I think James Joyce was trying to be provocative too, right? I think that's good.
6: Yeah, yeah, he's actually uh from my hometown, I think. Um... Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is like there's like six thousand people there, and it kind of sucks. And th- some people still do come up to you on the street and call you an N word, so I <laughs> be careful about that <laughs> shit. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, oh no, not James Joyce. He's from Ireland. Sorry, I'm thinking of the guy who wrote From Here to Eternity or whatever, and the Thin Red Line. Um, oh, uh huh. Whatever um, his name is, oh, I always get confused. Um, James Jones, I think, or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I I. I I think it's an interesting point. I do think, you know, the idea that, I don't know, I I, I I just know there are certain things that can be said to me in person where I would fight you, and I guess... James Jones, yeah. James Jones, okay, cool. Um, yeah. I don't no, know...
0: I, I, I had a, I had a moment fights. of confusion there about, you know, A B. Yep, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going.
6: Yeah, no, I, I just think... Um, I don't know. I don't know to what extent certain things should be protected more than others. But obviously, if it's you know something like a book that yeah. is distributed to millions of people and and or whoever yeah. reads it, um, which you know again is meant to provoke, I do think it's a little weird to. It's not that you know like I don't know. It's it's almost he it doesn't deserve it, you um, know. And I feel like when we have those conversations about it, it starts to sound a lot like, um, you know, when someone yeah. is sexually assaulted and they go to the police and they go, well, what were you wearing? You know what yeah. I mean? It starts right. to get a little like, um, we're blaming the victim for what should be something that the victim has just the right to do a right of freedom of expression generally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. I, I I appreciate okay. that you have having, having me on and i guess i'll see you in class sunday
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough uh yeah. yeah no that's 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 good i mean I, I don't know i mean like i also um like if i i, I mean i think it's also worth maybe taking a step back and like get a little bit of perspective here about like you know what are we talking about like we're talking about um a novel that like portrays you know a uh, you know religious figures in ways that are different from what the you know from like right. you know what the followers of the religion would like not like innately disrespectful in a way that's attached from that but you know but different in a way that they find offensive and it's like okay but like think about the kinds of things that we um that we're just protected just in the ordinary course of things when we, we say that like freedom to express yourself like about religion is like one of the core things that free speech is supposed to protect. Right. I mean, like, yeah, right. like that includes like um, the kinds of things that just in the normal course of things, right. We're protected yeah. are like people, you know, people telling you that like you're, you're going to be tortured forever and ever after you die because you don't agree with their religion. Right. I mean, like, that's the kind of like normal right, right. core sort of like what like religious free speech, you know, pre you know, protects. Right. So it's like, this is, right. you know, this is pretty mild, right. Compared to that. Right. I mean, it's like, one hundred percent. you know, it's like somebody, I mean,
6: like,
0: somebody there's, tells there's, me right. that like, that like, that like I'm so bad that I deserve to be tortured for all time. Right. I mean, like that's a, you know, like, 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 there's a certain way in which, like, that's much more of a fuck you than, like, you know, hey, here's a story in which, like, you know, things didn't play out the way that your story says they did.
6: Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when it gets to the religious stuff, too, I mean, like, there's a whole bunch of nun porn out there. So it's <laughs> kind of like, you know, it's like, what do we. What are we doing here, guys? Like, it's
0: it's yeah, it's, it's good it's, thing the it's good yeah. thing the Catholic Church doesn't really do foswas anymore. Um yeah.
6: <laughs> well, they'd have to foswa themselves pretty
0: hard. Yeah, um, no, but you know, I mean, I mean, they certainly used to. I mean, right, there was a point where yeah. it was like the the Pope would like issue a statement saying that like anybody who killed Henry the would go to heaven or whatever, but like uh, <laughs> they don't, uh, you know. <laughs> They don't do that anymore, which is, which is, uh, which is, which is good cause they'd have their hands full. But anyway, yeah. uh, I, uh, I am going to, it is, uh, it is midnight. I'm, uh, I'm going to take the dog on a walk and watch some mindless television, and go to sleep. So, um, uh, uh, appreciate the call. I will see you in class, t- uh, on Sunday. Uh, thank you for everybody else who, uh, who called in and, uh, and, uh, and kept it interesting. Uh, if, um, if anybody has an opportunity to uh, spend uh, to spend twenty years hiding out um, and not being able to like go out and do public events because they're under constant fear of death and they get to marry a supermodel at the end, uh, I wouldn't take the. I don't think you should take the deal. Uh, the um, there are you know, uh, especially if the marriage doesn't last any longer than Salmons did, it wouldn't be worth it. So anyway, I'm gonna leave people with that thought. Left is best.